Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is your word. You sent it. You protected it. You directed every word of it by your spirit you have preserved it and we pray now that by your spirit you would speak it through this fragile servant but that it would come forth and speak to our hearts mightily in the name of jesus amen the book of Galatians was obviously written by the Holy Spirit through the instrument of Paul the Apostle. It could have been written as early as 49 AD. Paul was approximately the same age as Jesus. He was born approximately in the same time span as Jesus. Paul being born in a place under Roman occupation called Tarsus, a coastal city, in the region of the district of Cilicia. He was surnamed Saul. That was his given name. But somewhere between 49 A.D. and 55 or 56 A.D., we're not 100% sure, most probably in the mid-50s, he writes back to the region of Galatia. Understand that Galatia is not a city. Galatia is a large territory. Alabama is not a city. It is a territory. There are things like counties. There are districts in our state. There, are, there were districts in the Roman Empire as well. And there are smaller areas that we call cities. Paul was born in the city of Tarsus, in the, city, the district of Cilicium, in the general area of a place called Asia Minor. This man, and I want to thank my friend Dr. Tom Reynolds from Chattanooga, he and his wife Barb, I have nobody who listens more intently to our teaching on our electronic, our CDs, than Dr. Tom and Miss Barbara Reynolds from Chattanooga. And I thank Dr. Tom for the gift of his book, The Apostle, by John Pollock, a wonderful biographer who has helped give me some information of background for this study. Thank you, Dr. Tom, I know you're listening. Thank you, Barbara, I know you're listening. Mean a lot to this ministry. Saul was raised a strict Jewish young man. But he was unusual because he not only was an incredibly strict Jewish man, his father was a Pharisee, we'll go into that in a minute, 
But Saul was a Roman citizen. Very unusual for the Jews who lived under Roman occupation. Understand that everything was under the military and political rule of Rome and the emperors of Rome. The Jews had their own little, sometimes token authority, whereby primarily through the religious institutions, the temple, the synagogue, the Sanhedrin, they were allowed a certain measure of self-government. But you should never make any mistake about it that the, the power that oversaw all of the region was Rome. And the emperor was in control. So the fact that a Jewish family were Roman citizens was a huge deal. Usually as a Jewish resident, you only got Roman citizenship by one of two things. Number one, you had done a favor for the political establishment of Rome, primarily the emperor or one of his cohorts or governors. You had done a favor for them and you were granted Roman citizenship through that favor that you had granted. They felt like you were partnered with them, they could trust you, and sometimes they would grant certain Jewish families Roman citizenship. Usually, however, you got, as a Jew, you got Roman citizenship through paying a large fee of money. Therefore, it is most probable that Paul's father was a wealthy man. Number one, he was a Pharisee. Number two, he had Roman citizenship, which very few Jews had at that time without the payment of large sums of money. Saul grew up under the strictest traditions of Jewish law. As a child, listen, by the time he was 13, he was able to quote the first five books of the Old Testament. He was extremely familiar with all the wisdom literature, Psalms and Proverbs, the Song of Solomon. He knew the prophets back in, uh, backward. He could tell you about every He was taught every day in the rabbinical schools by rabbis who forced the children to learn by rote all the intricate details of the Old Testament scriptures. When he was 13, he left home. He left that little town of Tarsus in the, region, in the district of Cilicia and went down to Jerusalem, which was Mecca to the Jews. He went to Jerusalem and there, beginning at about 13, he was given the incredible privilege of sitting under the most remarkable teacher of the day. His name was Gamaliel. You see him mentioned in the book of Acts. Gamaliel was recognized as the leading scholar of that day, that era, that time. And Paul, beginning at 13, was able to sit under this incredibly famous teacher, Gamaliel. He spent several years there in Jerusalem, and then around 20 or 21, he had to do what all Jewish successful men had to do. He had to go learn and excel in a trade. 
You ever notice that many times in Scripture, God requires his champions to learn a trade outside of religious life. He takes them out of the classroom, the realm of the theoretical, and always looking at all things that belong to religion, and he puts them into the practical world. When God got into covenant that affects you and I today, through which Jesus was born, he didn't choose a, a, a religious man. He chose a man named Abraham, a a businessman, a man who was schooled in business and real estate to get in partnership with. He was a vast landowner, a farmer, incredible. Abraham. When God wanted to choose a king, he didn't choose a little guy sitting there listening in Bible school he went out in the pasture and found a man named David who was working for his dad's business, shepherding sheep. He was anointed king. When Jesus wanted to choose 12 people to accompany him through whom he could give his ministry when he left, he didn't choose one single religious professional. Every one of them were business people. Professional fishermen, Peter, James, government workers, Matthew, the tax collector. Interesting, isn't it? So in Jewish culture, at the age of 20, 21, you had to go out and learn a trade and get highly skilled at it before you could then be looked at and considered worthy of being a Pharisee, the top level of re religious respect in Israel, and you couldn't even be one of those till you were about 30. So in that nine or 10 year period, you had to learn a trade and learn to be very, very good at it. How about that? One of the greatest things that the Lord ever did for me is interrupt my pursuit of ministry, been to seminary, been on church staffs. God interrupted my life and put me in the business world for several years. A lot of people were saying, well, he left, he left the ministry. I didn't leave it, I found it. I learned how to minister to real people. I learned how to live by faith. And you know, God gave me a heart for business people. Some people have a heart for foreign missions. I think that's wonderful. Some people have a heart for inner city. I think that is magnificent. Some people have a heart for all these things. God, my heart is for the business person. I, I understand it. I, I get it. I'm, I, I know what it's like. It's just where my particular heart is. Can I tell you something? And I've said to some of this to you privately. Your pastor here is, I, I, I am a little bit strange. 
You know that already, don't you? So what's new, right? I had rather be nibbled by the ducks than go to a preacher's meeting. Now, if you want to get together and talk about business or sports or something like that, buddy, you won't outlast me. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are people who live their lives in religious circles and with pastors all the time, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's the assignment some people have. I'm just telling you, I went to one of those the other day, and I hadn't been to one in about 10 or 15 years, and I thought to myself, now I know why I don't ever want to come to these things. Not being critical. Not being critical. They're my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I just don't like that stuff. Well, okay. Saul had to master a trade, and that trade was tent making. Where did he learn that? From his father. He learned how to make tents. How many of you remember that at one time in his ministry, he quit taking up offerings and started making tents to provide his provision to fund his ministry? Around 30 years old, he was appointed a Pharisee, and boy, he excelled in it. One day, he began to see and and experience hatred, and he became vitriolic toward those who named the name of a man that he didn't understand. His name was Jesus Christ. Christ, and they began to teach and preach that he was the Messiah, the long-awaited King of Israel. And Saul began to see this as a great challenge and a a curse on Judaism. So the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that Saul was breathing out threatenings hatred. And it even tells us that there was a man, a deacon of the church named Stephen, who was a very righteous man, who Saul saw to it, was stoned to death in his presence. And in the eyes of the Jewish religious leaders, Saul was progressing more and more in his zeal. He was being given more more and more accolades as being advancing in Judaism above his peers. And on his way to a place called Damascus to throw more Christians, these followers of this Jesus, into prison and to even see that some of them were stoned to death if necessary. On his way to a place called Damascus, an amazing thing happened as he and his compatriots were on the way into the city. According to his own account, there shone from heaven about midday a light that Saul said was brighter than the sun. You ever tried to look directly into the sun? I don't recommend it. 
Saul said, it was brighter than the sun. It blinded me. I was on the ground. Face down in the dirt. And a voice spoke to me and said, Saul, Saul, why are, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It is difficult to impossible for you to kick against the goads. A goad was a sharply pointed stick that was on oxen carts so that the oxen, if they were to really try to bolt and run to keep them from wrecking the carriage, there were goads there to keep them from kicking back. And Jesus said to Paul something he could understand. It is hard for you to kick against the goads that I have placed in your life. He said, I, I want you to get up. And I want you to go on into the city. When you get into the city, I want you to go to a street called Straight. And there when you get into the city and you go to the street called Straight, there will come to you a man named Ananias. He is in prayer right now. I got chill bumps all over me. He, you go and stay with a man named Judas there at the street called Straight in the city named Damascus and a man named Ananias will come and he will pray for you and you will receive your sight. The Holy Spirit interrupted a dream of a man named Ananias who was praying and said, Lord God, what do you want me to do? He said, Ananias, I want you to get up. I want you to quit taking a nap. I want you to leave your house and I want you to go to a street called Straight. And there you will find the home of a man named Judas. I want you to go on in. There's a man there named Saul. He's going to be named Paul. And I want you to pray over him. I want you to lay hands on him that he may receive his sight. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard of this man. You want to go, Carl? I've heard of this man, how he persecutes the church. How he has watched over Stephen's stoning. How he has incarcerated people who would believe in the name of Jesus. And you want me to go and pray over him? The voice of the Holy Spirit was strong enough that Ananias knew that it wasn't for him to argue. It was simply for him to obey. How many of you know when the Lord gives you assignment, there's no good plan B? You can take plan B, but you'll never be fulfilled and most highly successful until you do what you've been assigned to do. So Ananias went to the street called Straight. He knocked on the door of the man named Judas. It was a common name back then. And he said, the, the Holy Spirit of God has sent me to pray over your guest. You can almost hear the wheels turning in Judas, thinking, thank God, maybe you'll get out of here soon, because I've heard about this guy. Ananias went over to Saul, who we know as Paul, and he said, brother, 
Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Can I tell you something? When God tells you that somebody's in the faith family, who are you to say they don't belong? Brother Saul, I was praying and God interrupted me in a dream and told me to come over here and pray for you. And sure enough, here you are, blind as a bat. So I'm going to pray for you. Ananias laid his hands on Paul, prayed over him, and the Bible says that great scales fell from the very eyelids of Saul, and his eyes were open, and he could see clearly. He had already been saved on that land where he met Jesus and received him and decided to follow him. The moment he opened his heart and took the step toward Jerusalem, uh, uh, toward Damascus, he had already come to know the saving grace of the Lord. Now he saw the healing touch of Jesus of Nazareth and he was so excited, he, 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 um, he just had to tell somebody. He began to talk and uh, at first it went over quite well, people were amazed, and then it didn't go so well because he began to upset the apple cart of the religiosity of the Pharisees and um, the word got out that he was about to be murdered. And so some friends, some believers, some believers hit him in a fish basket, lowered him over the wall of the city of, Jama of Damascus, and he went out free and stayed in the land of Arabia for three years out in the deserts. And there, over those three years, he went to school. The Bible says that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, himself appeared to Paul, spoke to him, explained to him all these Old Testament scriptures that he was blind about, and showed him clearly how Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And over the period of those three years, meeting after meeting with the Lord Jesus himself, Paul came out of Arabia, a mighty man of God, and God began to use him mightily. One of the trips he went on to speak was the region of Galatia, which had cities in it like Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. You can read about all those in the book of Acts. I would recommend that if you want to do that, begin with about chapter 9 and begin to read all the way through the book of Acts. If you want to get some idea of what happened in, in Galatia, Iconium, Antioch, Lystra, Derbe. But there he was. Saul of Tarsus, a man of means, miraculously converted, taught not only by Gamaliel, but now taught by the Spirit of God. Saul was a single man at this time in his ministry, but you know, the... the the Bible doesn't tell us, but the chances are good that he was married at one time because you couldn't be a Pharisee unless you were married. And Paul calls himself a Pharisee. So he was probably married at one time, but it's very obvious in the scriptures that now he was a single man. What happened? The Bible doesn't tell us. Probably one of two things. She probably died or 
when he converted to Christ, she probably left him. That was legal in Jewish culture that this, listen, to believe on Jesus, for some people, you got written out of the synagogue in some place. This was a drastic decision. So was he married? We don't know. He probably was. But it probably, his conversion probably cost him his marriage. Well, Paul writes, are you ready to look at some verses now? Do you know a little bit more about Paul? Do you have a little idea of the context of where we are? Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle. The word apostle means one who is specifically chosen and sent. An apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Pastor, I see in Ephesians 4 that the gift of apostleship, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists are mentioned as gifts of Jesus to the church. There are gifts of apostles, there are offices, but there are no more of the original apostles of Jesus because they had to see Jesus post-resurrection. They had to be eyewitnesses that Jesus of Nazareth was really and truly raised from the dead. So somebody's going around today saying, well, I got as much authority as the Apostle Paul, and I, you do what you want to. I know what I'm going to do. There is the gift of apostleship that works in and through people who begin and then oversee great works of God. Who begin and oversee great works of God. But the twelve apostles, now remember, Judas had to be replaced by a man named Matthias. You ever read Acts 1? Matthias was an eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry and of the Jesus who walked on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. He had to be an eyewitness to be an apostle. But now Paul says, I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ as one who was called out of time. We have no indication whatsoever that Paul and Jesus' lives and ministries ever intertwined. Jesus' ministry was actually not in a vast uh, uh, amount of space. If you look on your map here, you will find that Jesus' ministry was mostly in Judea, around uh, Syria, that he was down there in Jerusalem, and Paul was in Tarsus most of the time, other than his schooling, but there's no indication 
that Jesus and Paul ever mixed before Paul's conversion. An apostle sent not from men but through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, over the course of my ministry, I've seen some people who tried to be self-called. Do you know that you, if you have a calling, there is an inner witness of the Holy Spirit that is irrevocable. The Bible says that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. You know what that means? He's not going to change his mind. If God ever specifically called you for a life assignment, you're never going to be fulfilled and completely successful until you flow in and walk in that life assignment that is a a calling is a life assignment. Now, in that life assignment, there can be other assignments that go down different trails. I told you about my assignment of coaching, my assignment of business. But there is an overriding assignment that I know that God has given me a lifelong calling, if you will, even though I may have an assignment that temporarily may look different than a life calling, it is all part of the plan. He is working something. Look, you don't self-appoint yourself. You don't say, well, I, I believe that so-and-so believes that I'd be a good pastor. My mama told me that I was going to grow up and be a preacher. I know this is hard for some of you to understand, but sometimes mama and them can be wrong. Well, I know that I went to a service one, one day and I felt all wiggly and I just felt like I ought to just surrender to the ministry. Well, that in and of itself is well and good, but that doesn't mean, can I tell you something? If, if there's not an ongoing witness in your inner man that you have been called and assigned by God into ministry as your life's vocation. If I were you, I'd resign from a self-calling and run as fast as you can, because this ain't easy. It's okay to pursue. But if you're genuinely called, there will be an ongoing witness of the Holy Spirit, and there will be opportunities open for God to use you to do what he has assigned you to do. Now, sometimes what you think you're doing, you don't think is any way related to your life's assignment. Can I tell you something? If you surrender to the Lord and you're obedient to do what he has called you to do, whatever that looks like, you just keep on being obedient. It's up to him to open the right door. And God will... Sometimes, look, when God called Paul, he didn't immediately go out there and get successful. He had to go off for three years and be alone with the Lord. 
That was not wasted. That was foundational. You're not going to build a two-story house with no foundation. Paul was called of God by the Lord Jesus who raised, by the Father who raised Jesus from the dead to all the brethren and all the brethren who are with me. He had compatriots who won't go into that. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself, this is the last verse we're going to cover today, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Why did, why did Jesus give himself for our sins? To deliver us from this present evil age. Sometimes this evil age is referred to as the world. Cosmos in the Greek, K-O-S-M-O-S. Hold your place there and turn with me to the book of 1 John toward the back of your Bible. I want to show you something about the world. The cosmos, the world, is a system, are you listening? It is a system under the influence of the evil one. In, in 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, we see in verse 19, well, let's look first. In verse 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, the system under the influence of the evil one. Our educational system, our entertainment system, our political system, our religious system, all the systems of the world has some influence from the evil one. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, the cosmos, our Faith. Now look down in verse 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world, the entire cosmos, the system under the influence of the evil one, the whole system lies under the sway, under the influence of the wicked one. Now understand this. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. You see that creative beauty out there with that sunshine today? That was not created by the evil one. The earth is the Lord's in the full. We're not talking about the physical, material earth. We're not talking about the beautiful seas and mountains and skies. We're not talking about the beautiful stars in the heavens. We are talking about life as it is controlled and manipulated, influenced on this earth by the evil one. It lies under his sway, his influence. But our faith, which is what connects us to the Lord, is, overcomes that world system. Here's my question for us today. I've been asking the Holy Spirit to show me this week the areas in my own life where the world has impacted my thinking. Where I have... Where my, my, where my mind is impacted by the world system under the influence of the evil one. Lord, show me where the world has entered my mind, my decisions, my feelings, 
Show me where I've been deceived into believing lies that are not of you and not of your heart, of your word. Let's look at chapter 2 of 1 John. What is so bad about the world, this world system? What's so bad about it, Pastor? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, the cosmos, the system under the influence of the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, if I start loving the the world, I I start losing love for the Father. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust, the strong desires of the flesh. What's the flesh? The flesh is the way I used to be before I was occupied by the Spirit of God, before I was born again. Those desires don't go away just because I'm born again. They don't disappear. Their power over me has been broken. Their right over my life has been broken by the cross. But it doesn't mean that they disappear this side of heaven. I have to deal with them by the power of the cross of Jesus. So all that is in the world the lust, the desires of that part of me that is not under the control of the Spirit of God. And can I tell you something? We're going to get there in Galatians 5. The desires of the flesh are not pretty. They're destructive. The lust of the flesh, the desire, it is primarily self-absorption. Oh, I thought it was just a list of bad things. It arises from being, it's empowered by being self-absorbed. It's all about satisfying my selfish agenda. That's what the flesh is. It's all about satisfying my selfish ambitions, my selfish ambition, my agenda. That which gratifies me, that which satisfies my appetites, that which is appealing to that part of me that is not under the control or direction of the Spirit of God. That's the flesh. And I have to deal with it, and you do too. I said I have to deal with it, and you do too. Amen. The flesh, the craving, the desire to satisfy those self-absorbed Desires. The lust of the eyes. What is the lust of the eyes? It is always longing for what looks to be an answer, but what I really never be able, I just can't ever seem to have what my eyes see that I want and long for, but I just can't ever seem to to have it. You know, it's easy in the world in which we live to get in love and to be deceived by the lust of the eyes. Man, is that ever a great car. If I could just have that car, then I could really be happy and satisfied. And so I strongly desire it, but I just can't ever seem to be able 
to get it. And so a lot of my inner man is beginning to get preoccupied by the desire to acquire. You see, the lust of the eyes are all about accumulating, not investing. If I could just have that house, if I could just have that vehicle, if I could just have that spouse, then all my troubles would be over. Whatever the eyes see that makes us begin to long for something we just can't ever seem to have is the lust of the eyes. And it is part of this world system under the influence of the evil one. It stirs the desires outside the boundaries of God's best. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, are those desires that rage and are stirred on the inside that are outside God's best for us. It says, I don't really believe that you want the best. I really believe I could do better if you had put me in a different place, if you had given me a different set of circumstances, if you had given me a different set of people in my life. Always wanting something that you can't seem to get. Outside the boundaries of God's best. Well, you see, why is Paul addressing all of this? Why is it that he is saying that Jesus gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age? Because there's so many lies being propagated in this world. So many lies. So many lies. What was the issue of the Galatians? It's very simple. Are you listening? Don't miss this. It's the heart of why the book of Galatians was written. The issue of the Galatians was that they had come to a point, and there were a group of people in the, in the churches of Galatia who were infiltrating the church and actually proclaiming that Paul was not a real apostle. After he left, the lie was that you were you enter into God's family and his favor on the basis of his grace and on the basis of your performance of the law. In their particular case, they, they said, oh, it's wonderful to be saved by the grace of God, but you have got to become a Jew in your inner man to, able, to be able to really be a citizen of the kingdom of God. That meant you had to obey, you had to receive Jesus and obey the law to ever be qualified to be accepted as a son or daughter in the eyes of God. Don't ever forget this, church. 
You say, Pastor, you're telling me something I learned is nine years old. Don't ever forget this. The only basis of your salvation, the only basis of my salvation, is the grace of Jesus received as a gift by faith. Not any performance that you could ever come up with will ever make you acceptable in God's eyes. Many of you know that you're forgiven on the basis of grace, but why are you living as if God accepts you based on your performance? And if your performance is not good one day, then he doesn't accept you very well. God, give us revelation that the grace of God is 24-7. Give us revelation that Jesus, because of his grace, that our Father sees us accepted in the Beloved. And we're never going to get any more accepted than where we are right now in the Beloved. That my performance, whether good or bad, is not what makes me accepted. My performance is not what got me the favor of God. It is the grace of God given to me as a gift by the Lord Jesus Christ. God, if I believe it in my head, help me to get it in my heart. Some of you have walked around for years feeling guilty about this and that and this and that, things you did do, things you didn't do. You need to say, Lord, give me revelation of how you see me today in Christ Jesus. God doesn't love you nor accept you based on how you performed in the last 24 hours. He loves and accepts you based on how Jesus performed on your behalf and you're not going to get any better than that. So the whole issue of Galatians is the unconditional love, grace, acceptance of God through the agency of faith in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? Would you say this with me, mighty Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you by the Holy Spirit to show me those areas in my life where the world has influence in my thinking, in my choosing, in my behaving, in my feeling. In the name of Jesus, I declare that you are greater than the world. And by faith, as I access your spirit, your life, your word, my mind will be renewed and I will see you more clearly. God, thank you for your grace. Give me deeper, surer revelation of your love, of your grace. Break the power of my belief system where I have believed that I'm accepted based on my performance and that I'm rejected based on my performance. I say today on the basis of the Holy Word of God that I am in Christ and in Christ I am holy and righteous and beloved and accepted, full of grace. You consider me in Christ as if I had never sinned.
praise your name for your love, for your grace. In Jesus' name, and amen. Hallelujah. Don't forget next week the time change. I know some of you came last week. I know at least one of you did. Hope you had a wonderful time enjoying the beauty. Look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.